Hello and welcome to Views from the Market, Mid-Market Private Equity and M&A in Canada. My name is Mario Negro. I am a partner in the Private Equity M&A Group at Steichman Elliott. For today's podcast, I'd like to welcome Duncan Ramage. Duncan is the managing partner for the Private Equity Group at Forum Asset Management. Duncan, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Mario. Great to be on. Duncan, I always start by asking our guests to tell us a little bit about themselves, a little bit about their fund and um, you know what they're working on. So again, I kind of start by asking to tell us a little about you and Forum. Yeah, I'd love to, man. Thanks. Um, but by the way, uh, when we bumped into each other the other day, the uh, the guy that I was with said he uh, he recognized your name and knew that you were the quote unquote godfather of the search business or the search industry in Canada. It's <laughs> like that's pretty that's pretty the good. Godfather, I love Italian guy loves being called the godfather. Exactly, I thought you'd like that. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I'll give you a little history on me and and, and form. I'm a BC boy, born and bred in the. Actually, not born, but raised in Prince George, BC. Uh, got my way down to Vancouver after high school, and I uh, was going to school during you know the late '90s. I graduated in uh, spring 2000, and so uh, at that time it was you know dot com mania, and especially in BC, but you know really everywhere, you know tech was was where you wanted to be. And so I did a finance degree, and I I decided to join a little a little venture capital shop at a, in Vancouver. And then, of course, shortly thereafter, the uh, the bubble really burst, and you know the, the firm was was really no longer. So I decided I wanted to stay in tech, and I, I joined a software company, you know, a VC-backed software company selling systems to school districts. Uh, not the best business, frankly, but a, but a great learning opportunity for me. I was kind of the corp dev, um, you know, right hand kid to the executive team, running numbers, you know, helping raise money. I got got to sit with those folks a lot and learn from an executive team. Frankly, that was going through a bit of a distressed part of the cycle for the business. And so learned a lot about how to deal with that and saw the inner workings of, a, of an organization really early in my career, which I think was really helpful. Then that changed. Uh, I moved on from there. I joined a, a mining merchant bank called uh, Endeavor, which is run by Frank Justra. Learned a lot there about the public markets, you know, deal making, and some project finance as well. We did a project financing for a gold mine in Russia, of all places. And then, you know, that sort of led me to also realize that I didn't want to be in the mining space, frankly. And when you're in Vancouver, at least at that time, there's really either mining or tech. So I realized I had to move out to, out to Toronto. So I came in the spring of 06 and I joined Macquarie. I was there for almost 10 years, wore a bunch of different hats across a bunch of different businesses. You know, really project development uh, on the P3 side primarily, uh, corporate development and, and principal investing in a few different sectors. You know, on the principal investing side, we bought some ports, casinos, uh, launched a you know, creative credit business, let's call it, where we used our, our balance sheet to support largely you know, middle market businesses, trying to differentiate ourselves from the, from the Canadian banks. On the corp dev side of the business, again, was pretty interesting. So when I joined... Macquarie at the time might have had 50 people or so. And, you know, at the peak, I think we grew up to about 2,500. And that was through the combination of, you know, a few sort of transformational acquisitions that we made. And when I joined, we were really what I call a first party advisory shop. So my group would find and structure and run the transaction for acquisitions that we would then pass off to our funds who would asset manage them. Uh, then we bought Orion Securities, which was a more full-service investment bank with you know 
sales and trading and research and more traditional advisory. And then bought Tristone, which was an oil and gas advisory shop, and uh, then Blackmont Wealth Management. So through the course of those transactions, you know, really focused on, again, you know, the strategy of building the firm, worked really closely with the head of Canada through that, and then launched the, the credit business that I re- you know, referenced before. Uh, worked in that business for about three or four years until Sydney sort of flew in one day and said, you know what, um, we're going to start disassembling this thing that you guys have built. And, uh, you know, one fell swoop, well, not one, but several really, but one fell swoop that day, you know, kind of you know, refocused the firm on, on infra mining and oil and gas. And so I rejoined Macquarie in the, in the infra business and spent the next couple of years primarily in the U.S. doing public-private partnership development. Uh, mostly in the in the fiber and telecom space. Uh, most notably, actually, one was a, uh, a three thousand plus mile middle mile network of fiber around the state of Kentucky, which, as chance would have it, is now you know the sort of the backbone that one of our portfolio companies is using to serve last mile customers in the state. So you know through that ten years, um, you know pretty broad array of of experiences across different transaction types. I left Macquarie, joined a small credit fund out of New York called Arena, where I was doing sort of, you know, idiosyncratic off-the-run credit stuff, mostly with lower middle market borrowers. Uh, interesting, but, you know, really after two years, I realized that I, I should move on and I joined Forum. And that was June 2017, about five years ago now. You know, I was, spent most of my career in the satellite office of, you know, non-Canadian organizations and the prospect of joining a small shop uh, or smaller shop, but where, you know, decisions were made down the hall, usually with me involved, was really compelling. And of course, you know, the team and the story and the opportunity to, to build something great was, was what drew me here. So even before I got to form, I think I, you know, I did about 5 billion or so of different transactions across the capital stack, different sectors, sizes, situations, uh, and all that project uh, development experience, which I think all sort of all told helped you know, position me for, for the role I have now. So you have Forum, that's me. Um, should we talk about Forum, Mario? Yeah, I mean, in Forum's, uh, you know, you, as a, plays a unique role in our marketplace. I mean, tell us a little bit about the Forum, the funds, because it's not just the the fund that you work with, but obviously love to talk about more, but even the real estate fund, some of the other stuff the Forum's doing. Yeah. So Forum's got a great story, um, you know, founded 25, almost 26 years ago now by Richard Abood. At the time, you know, Richard was a real estate agent, a real estate leasing agent, and that's what he set up for him to be at, at first. And, you know, after five years, decided he wanted to be a principal investor. It was a lot more interesting and, uh, and lucrative. But as you'll say it, you know, he didn't have experience, reputation, capital, or, or rich friends. And so tried to, you know, through sheer sort of creativity, um, hard work, structure, uh, was able to make... You know, pretty impressive balance sheet. Uh, we've built some really, you know, interesting assets, uh, including some that you know your listeners might recognize the uh, the Billy Bishop Airport tunnel that takes you from the mainland to the to the island airport, data center uh, up at CFB Borden for the feds, some social housing uh, in Vancouver, a courthouse in Quinty, a variety of these P3s, uh, as well as you know a bunch of other corporate, real estate, and other activity. I think about $3 billion of total sort of commercial activity over the history of the firm. When I joined in in 17, um, we still had an active P3 development business. 
and a, uh, a renewables development capital business. But those were sort of nearing the end of their lives, I think. Um, they became less less compelling. And, and so we wound those down shortly after I joined. And, and, and frankly, we didn't really know what we were going to do together, to be totally honest. I was the only you know, active direct investor on the, you know, using the balance sheet. And this time it was just, just our own balance sheet. There was no third party capital. Um, and then over the course of the next few years, we, you know, we worked up this, this strategy, um, which we're focused on now, which is, you know, in investing in, you know, operating businesses and, and projects that provide service to the built environment. That's the, the, the core focus. So these are what I call infrastructure adjacencies. They're not core infra, you know, building a pipeline or building a you know, power transmission, but often, you know, smaller examples of those sorts of projects or the services that surround them or services that build, that serve the built community, things like broadband and HVAC and plumbing and those sorts of things. Duncan, I know that, you know, you obviously focus on the, the, the private equity, but in some ways, uh, you know, Forum uh, has a bigger investment portfolio in, in other sectors than even in the private equity. It, it's involved in, in real estate and a couple of other sectors where it's, it's doing even more. So I wonder if, if you can give us a little bit of the flavor of the, of the other elements of the Forum business. Yeah, for sure. We're, we're actually, you know, my team's the smaller of the, uh, of the two primary businesses here. I mean, really, I guess we have four business lines effectively. One is just sort of more passive balance sheet activity, which, which is a pretty small part of the business. Then we have real estate development, and uh, we do that on balance sheet. And we have real estate, uh, you know, stable multifamily portfolio, which we, uh, we hold in a fund called the, the Forum Real Estate Income and, and Impact Fund. Uh, which is an open-ended mutual fund trust. We're on the shelves at uh, BMO, CIBC, Richardson's, and CI, and we're you know, working on a couple others. That's been you know well received. It's an you know an income fund with pretty attractive uh, return characteristics, considering it's you know core core plus multifamily assets in in, in Canada. Sort of the crown jewel in that portfolio is a, uh, a student housing development at York University on campus at York University as well as a you know, variety of other student housing or co-living or, um, uh, or stable apartment assets uh, across the country. And so, yeah, my, my partner, Ali Damji, runs the real estate business, uh, both the development and the stabilized assets. Uh, I run the, the private equity business, and Richard Aboud's the CEO. And, and our, our fourth partner is Rajiv Vishwanathan, who's our CFO and sort of our guiding light on, on on organization and keeping the keeping everything working properly he spent uh, most of his career at, uh, at brookfield and and dream and uh you know so that's the the four amigos um and the rest of the team I and mean, we have 40 people almost in total we all sit here in brookfield place in toronto it's remarkable we started you know when we kind of wound down the p3 business and the renewables development capital business shortly after i joined in sort of 1718 we kind of troughed out at about, I think it was nine or 10 people. And we're now at 40. We, we added most of those during COVID. You know, we, we sort of redefined, repurposed the firm, if you will, re, repositioned ourselves to become not just a balance sheet investor, but, you know, a true third-party asset manager. And so culture and, you know, our values are, are really, really important to us. You know, it's up on the wall, actually, this huge mural in the office here that lays out our, our, our values, or at least, you know, how we think about things. And in, within that is certainly a strong ESG theme. It's, uh, it's a core principle of, of the PE business as well as the real estate business. 
So we're constantly looking for ways of, you know, making our buildings more efficient, you know, positively impacting lives, improving, improving governance, connecting the unconnected folks in, in Kentucky or, or whatever the situation is. Yeah. And this is all really, you know, driven by the guiding light, the guiding light of Richard, uh, Richard Abood, who's uh, built something great here and, you know, happy and proud to be part of it. And, you know, what's interesting, Duncan, and maybe spend a moment on it if we could, because, you know, sometimes you think infrastructure or to your point, infrastructure like is big. Mm -hmm. But what I find fascinating about your fund, you know, which is very unique, you're willing to do these type of deals in middle market, lower middle market companies. It's not just you don't see just the opportunities. And, you know, when we think of infrastructure, we think big, but you, you found and your thesis is focused on these kind of what I would call growing infrastructure-like companies. Yeah, I think that's right on. I mean, frankly, that's where we see a lot more, you know, opportunity from a, from a valuation perspective and more opportunity for us to, to add value uh, to younger companies that are, you know, sort of maturing, transitioning, they, they need growth capital. And then this other thing about the infrastructure world that's, I think, been changing, you know, there are, I think, more smaller scale projects that can be impactful, um, whether those are you know, distributed power generation or some of the things that we're looking at in the waste to waste to value or waste to power space. You know, not every you know, infrastructure project needs to be you know, massive. And when you're looking around the edges a little bit, which we do, um, you know, you can find things that are really compelling from an economics perspective. They work. And if you aggregate some of them together, they can be really compelling exit. A lot of the traditional infrastructure investors can't write checks as small as that we write. And so it's just not interesting for them, you know, to have a look at. But if we aggregate, you know, 10 of those together, then it can be very interesting. And it's interesting when, you know, we've talked about your thesis and then, and maybe just to let give people a flavor of when you use the word infrastructure, which you you know, if you look at your portfolio and some of the opportunities you invested, because it's a very broad concept of infrastructure. Mm-hmm. It's not just, you, you're you're not just about roads and bridges. Like you are, uh, maybe I'll let you tell a little bit about the the type of businesses you've even invested in now to show the breadth of the of the mandate. Yeah. Look. Um, Again, our focus is at least as much on operating companies as it is on projects. So the operating companies that are currently in the portfolio, uh, one's a broadband business called Broadlink. So we see that as an essential service. You know, it has towers and fiber and spectrum, you know, real hard assets that, you know, broadly considered digital infrastructure, but on a relatively smaller scale. Um, we have an HVAC business, which we see as, you know, an essential service to, to the homeowner and small business owner that's out of Texas called the Chill Brothers. And that's a bit more of a traditional PE playbook there, frankly. You know, we're, we're buying a relatively, you know, straightforward, easy to, you know, quote unquote, easy to understand business that has strong economic fundamentals, you know, highly fragmented industry that we can roll up. Not that we're the only ones rolling up in the HVAC space, but uh, we're getting good traction there. You know, highly resilient to economic uh, uh, disruptions and so on. Um, so again, it has you know infrastructure-like characteristics serving the built environment. It's another example of how we've you know a lot of people say it can be a nebulous definition of infrastructure for sure. But the service businesses that that operate in the built environment, I think, qualify in, in you know in some regards. And then more recently, in a transaction that Stipens was involved with, um, we uh, we made an investment into a a billboard business, a network of billboards across across Canada. 
that uh, we, we see as, you know, as, as urban infrastructure, um, you know, scarce asset, real asset, hard to displace, highly resilient through, through disruption. I mean, even in COVID, billboards peak to trough on revenue basis, I think, were disrupted sort of 10 to 12 percent and have already, you know, rebounded fully uh, to give you a sense of, you know, that's, that's not bad considering a lot of people weren't going outside even. Certainly transit and uh, airports and indoor advertising got hurt more, but outdoor billboards uh, were pretty resilient. Um, so that's, yeah, another, another example of how we, how we look at the, you know, our definition of infrastructure. And, you know, what's interesting about your model, um, when we think about these investments, not only are they middle market and they're a broader concept of infrastructure, but I think what I find interesting and I think the marketplace finds interesting in more form is you, you'll do majority, you'll do minority, your, the way you shape deals is uh, not, uh, you know, someone, if I could say this, non-traditional. You're willing to do a variety of different deals. Maybe I'll leave you to kind of tell us a little bit about how you look at investments because it is, you know, you're not just a majority. You do a lot of minority. Mm-hmm. You will, you know, structure deals in a way that's very facilitative to letting an owner continue to run the business and you support. It is unique the way you, you frame your investments and kind of how you frame your interest in your investments. Yeah, look, I, I think it is, maybe it's not unique, but it's, um, it's a bit of a differentiator, yeah, where, differentiator we, yeah. where we are able to be pretty flexible with our, with our structure. As you said, we'll do, we'll do control buyouts or, you know, in the case of Chill, uh, the HVAC business, we actually set that up from scratch and we do control that business. Um, in the case of Broadlink and, and Vendo, on the other hand, those are minority uh, investments now, I guess there's sort of shades of minority investments, you know, what you might call a kind of a ride along without, you know, substantial influence or, you know, or, or negative controls. We, we don't do those. We're highly, you know, active in, in all of our investments. But in the, you know, in, the, in those two examples of minorities, you know, I think it was, you know, it's almost like the deal dynamic, what the company needs or wants from a capital perspective and sometimes they're just precious about, you know, capital C control. But a lot of the time it comes down to, well, I only need this much money and I think the business is worth this. And so therefore you don't get control. And, you know, you can, you can walk away at that point or you can try to find a set of tools that can allow you to operate within that, that paradigm. And that set of tools often, you know, includes a variety of, of contractual protections, as you would imagine, whether it's, you know, vetoes on CapEx or acquisitions or changes to the management team. You know, often a put after a sort of an outside date. And if the put doesn't happen, then you can actually control exit. And often you kind of get to more or less, not quite to be fair, but more or less a similar place at least, or a place that we can get comfortable with. That isn't massively different from a true control situation. And I guess the benefit to this, both from making it, you know, relatively unique in the market, as well as, you know, addressing potentially a, you know, a hard line in the sand with a, with a management team, as an example, about, quote, unquote, being able to be fired, which is often a, a fear or a concern that folks have, is that you can almost always, in our experience, always get a, get a pref when you put in uh, a piece of minority. So that downside protection uh, is really compelling for us. And it's sort of a, you know, it's a decent trade for, for not having full control. But all that said, like it really does highlight the need to really be on the same page with the humans involved and the strategy going in. You know, so we spend a lot of time channel checking, background checking, and, and getting to know and spending time with 
uh, the management teams. And that's that's kind of standard, but I mean, it's a little harder to do, frankly, in a, a more structured, traditional, you know, sell side process. We're finding transactions that are a little underbanked or unbanked or, you know, sort of fully proprietary. And so it allows us the time to develop those relationships and get comfortable with the people. And in fact, you know, it doesn't always work out. Like we went way down the road with the transaction early, earlier in the year and didn't get fully comfortable with, with the humans. I mean, everything else was great, but just couldn't get, uh, couldn't get comfortable that without a quote unquote hammer, we could, you know, we could be comfortable with our position. I want to ask you a bit about the marketplace and what you're seeing. Uh, Duncan, you've obviously been active. You've closed some deals. You um, want to get your perspective on the market now, what you're seeing, you know, given all that's going on with all the macro events happening and, and your thoughts on, you know, we always always ask the guests about, you know, time to crystal ball. <laughs> I bring out the crystal ball and your thoughts about where you see this market going. Yeah, it's, um, it's a weird time, right? It's a weird time. Good well said, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we had it so good for so long, <laughs> I guess, you know, the shoe is bound to drop at some point. You know, look, before this correction, it was really hard to get our heads around where prices were. We didn't have this gun to our head to deploy. And so you know, I think we were pretty patient and found, you know, interesting stuff that wasn't overpriced. Now, obviously, with, you know, with, with rates and inflation and so on that everyone's, you know, talking about these days, going where, where they're going, including today's, or sorry, yesterday's Bank of Canada announcement. Put it this way, it's, we don't know which way's up, frankly, right now, exactly. And so I think it's, you know, we're not in any sort of rush to make a new investment right now. That said, of course, disruption creates opportunity. And, you know, we're starting to see some of that come through or situations that probably would have been sort of flew off the shelf, if you will, six months, 12 months ago, are, you know, are getting a little more stuck, more realistic valuation expectations, more open to structure. And, you know, and so I think we'll continue to see that over the next, I don't know, whatever, however long, <laughs> who, who knows, but let's call it six to 12 months, at least. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, how those opportunities sort of shape up. You know, I, I certainly don't think we're through this correction. There's a lot of more disruption to come, I think. So with that, you know, with that in mind, it's, you know, you keep, keep an eye on fundamental value. That's why we like, we like infrastructure assets or, you know, assets with fundamental cash flow characteristics or hard asset characteristics that, that we, you know, we can, we can get comfortable with the downside on. And then, you know, it's, uh, as you know, we, we have a pretty substantial real estate business as well. And, you know, this rate and inflation environment, you know, impacts that as well. And, so we're also cautious on new activity, I guess you'd say, on the development side in particular in that space. But the same theme with respect to opportunity is, uh, is there as well. And we're already seeing, you know, certain projects, other people's projects getting stalled out or hung up. You know, you know construction costs have gapped out on folks and they need, they need help. And again, that creates interesting opportunities. Duncan, I, I want to say thank you for joining us. It's been uh, super interesting to hear about yourself and the unique uh, elements of the fund and, and what you're doing in the marketplace. So thank you for joining us and being our guest. Yeah, great. Thanks, Mario. I appreciate it.